This week, our episode is much more research intensive. There's going to be a lot more times and dates and details and content, but we, of course, are not going to be skimming on any of our regular shenanigans. Yeah, there's sex, there's accosting, there's eating shit, there's Mm. massacres, there's... You went, hmm, uh, massacre. <laughs> what else is there? There's so much. Anyway, we don't need to include everything. But... I was just thinking about meadows. It's <laughs> beautiful, beautiful meadows. Beautiful meadows. Hello and welcome to Garbage Nation, where we talk about garbage people and sometimes okay people that do garbage things. I'm Adrian, and everyone says that I'm pretty good at self-depreciating humor, but I don't think it's very good. (laughs) (laughs) Do you you get it? No. (laughs) I'm being self-depreciating about the compliment about my (laughs) self-depreciating humor. You're so bad. I know, I'm old. That's true. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Shit, I guess I bombed, huh? (laughs) Fuck. Okay, well, we we can't all have perfect days. I'm Louise, and I finally figured out why I look so terrible in photos. It's because you smile? It's my face. It's (laughs) close enough. Have you tried getting a new one? (laughs) This week's trash consists of used paper towels, dryer lint, and the big dick energy of a lipless, puffy 19th century dandy with an obsession for shit and collecting wives. <laughs> Why well, didn't know you were doing a garbage nation thing about me? <laughs> this is an ambush. Adrian, the 19th century dandy with 55 wives. And a proclivity for shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is right. We're going to be talking about Brigham Young, the second president of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church. The Mormon Church! The Mormon Church! (laughs) Is that the Mormon theme song? Yes. (laughs) Is that like the intro for like Seinfeld or something? Kind of. That's that's the song you hear in the distance before you're colonized. (laughs) It's like, what's that sound? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the sound in the distance before you're colonized, aka the Mormon Church. Yep. This story was actually a listener recommended story. It was recommended by Molly Mormon. And I just want to give a huge shout out to the ex-Mormon subreddit. You have shown so much support by being awesome listeners and you've been so engaging. And on top of that, you have so much support for ex-Mormons, which I just have to acknowledge that leaving the Mormon church is exhausting. Being in the church is exhausting. And at times leaving the church can be even traumatic. And the ex-Mos on Reddit just go above and beyond to show 
support for those who have left. I just think it's really cool seeing people that have just left the church or people that have been out like me for almost a decade. And yeah, I just really appreciate what the community is doing. So we are going to dedicate this episode to you, ex-Mormon subreddit. I'm so grateful to the ex-Mormon subreddit group. It just makes me want to be an ex-Mormon myself. (laughs) Yeah, but you can't give up all the sweet bennies of being a Mormon. (laughs) I'll do it for the shit. (laughs) Before we dive in, I want to acknowledge our main sources. So our main source is Brigham Young, Pioneer Prophet by John Turner. And our other references are a mix of articles from the Salt Lake City Tribune, Deseret News, and Church Archives. And you can find our exhaustive list of our sources on our website at garbage-nation.com. In addition to that, before we get started, I want to thank all our listeners. And we also ask that if you do like our content, our jokes, the weird stuff that we talk about, and the garbage people in our great nation, please like, follow, and review us and rate us on whichever platform you listen to us on and follow us on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and more and most importantly, spread the word. Yes, please. All right, Louise, take it away. Okay. So after the prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, aka the Mormon Church, Joseph Smith was shot multiple times by an angry mob in the Carthage jail. <laughs> yeah. And that's a great story, too, but we we don't have time for that. I love a story that starts with a death. <laughs> it just it, that's when you know you're, you're you're starting good. It's like, I mean, you're not starting good. That's when you know you're starting intense. It's like, okay, so this person died. This is where our journey begins. Yeah, I'm not going to get into the backstory at all, but he's in the jail with the angry mob because he has to lay in the bed that he had just shat in. Mm. He did this to himself. So the church needed a new prophet. Nicknamed as the American Moses or the Mormon Moses, Brigham Young led the Mormons from Nauvoo, Illinois to the Salt Lake Valley. Brigham Young is widely known by his name because of the Mormon universities named after him. But he's also known for some more fun things like his foul mouth, his army of wives, and dictator-like tendencies. So allow us to introduce Brigham Young. Cue music before you're colonized. (laughs) Na-na-na-na. I thought you were going to go, na-na-na-na. Hey. That's like your colonizer music. Hey. Hey. Louise, can you add some context for our listeners on who this prophet is and what they do? Yeah, so the prophet of the Mormon church is pretty much like the Mormon pope. According to church doctrine, the prophet of the church receives direct and specific revelation from God for the entire Mormon church body. So some of the famous revelations from God include, of course, revelations on polygamy, revelations on how Mormons aren't supposed to drink alcohol and smoke tobacco. Those are supposedly revelations from God. There was also a revelation from our boy Brigham Young banning black men from getting the priesthood in the Mormon church. And then also the revelation in the late 1970s that removed that ban. Some other revelations were more practical and less ideological, 
like revelations that encourage members to have ample food storage for disasters or how to set up the streets uh, of Salt Lake City and other cities in Utah. Because if you've been to Salt Lake City or if you, if you live in Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City is kind of on a grid system. The numbers of the streets, it's supposed to tell you how many blocks you are away from the Mormon temple. Interesting. So so obviously these revelations are, are the important things, the shit that helps keep balance in the universe and our planet our cultures, you know, people hang on to. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like without these specific rulings, we would be directionless, anal loving heathens. <laughs> that's what that's what happened to you and I. <laughs> we quit listening to the prophet. And then- we quit listening to the prophet. We got lost. And now we just love anal. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> but pretty much the Mormon prophet is... He's supposed to be like the direct line of communication from the Lord to the people. So how do you say it? Elohim? Elohim? Yeah, Elohim. Elohim. Fucking God damn. Okay. Yikes. Uh, Talk about like an operator with a power trip. I'm sorry. Elohim can't come to the phone right now. Please try again at a later time. Do you think the prophet ever calls up Elohim and he's like, what are you wearing, daddy? (laughs) (laughs) So let's start with the early years. Brigham Young was born June 1st, 1801. He's a Taurus. Ooh, What does that that tell you about Brigham Young? I have a thing for Tauruses. Ooh. Yeah. Did you see his pictures? I did. Do you want to be his 56th wife? I will be his fucking 62nd wife if it comes to it. (laughs) You might have a chance in the afterlife. (laughs) Brigham Young looked like two people. He looked like someone, like an old man with secrets in his beard. (laughs) Kind of like a genocidal Gandalf. (laughs) Maybe he's more of a genocidal Hagrid. Yeah. (laughs) What's up, Harry? Are you ready to die? No, he's flying on an AK-47 to go pick up baby Harry. (laughs) And when he didn't have his beard, he looked like if you put shades on him, cargo pants and like flip-flops, like he would be like those (laughs) anti-maskers. So he's a Taurus and Tauruses are known for their explosive anger. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha. Brigham Young was born in Whittingham, Vermont. The only other famous person from Vermont I know is Bernie Sanders, who probably couldn't be more of the opposite person. And I think Vermont has only ever had two people ever live in the state. Yeah. Brigham Brigham Young and Bernie Sanders are the only two humans ever recorded to have lived in Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do you do you know anybody from Vermont? Brigham Young's dad. <laughs> Bill Wilson, one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous is from is from Vermont. Oh, so there's three people from Vermont. That's <laughs> that's three that's three full people. Ted Bundy was born in Ver- Vermont. That that's four. <laughs> I'm proving nothing as far as <laughs> Exactly. And they still fucking managed to get three Senate seats. <laughs> <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> so, 
Um, he was the eighth child of a farming family. They weren't. They were not Mormon. They had a lot of kids, but it wasn't because they were Mormon. It was because half of them were set to die of cholera or something. Yeah, it was that kind of thing. Like you, you had kids to help out on the farm. You didn't have kids to fucking put them in little prams and take them for Sunday strolls around the city. You literally roll out of a vagina. You're given a fucking like sickle, Pitch and you gotta go like exactly, <laughs> or like a little lamp, and you gotta go down into the mines with your umbilical cord still attached. <laughs> So he was raised as a strict Methodist and was not allowed to listen to music. In fact, his father beat him when he was caught listening to music. His family moved to upstate New York when he was tw- when he was 12 years old. He worked a variety of jobs from carpentry to glazing, painting, you know, etc. Mm-hmm. Very craft person like jobs. And then in 1824, he married Miriam Works. Um, they had two children, and in 1832, Miriam died, and Brigham Young moved into a house with a family friend, Herber C. Kimball. In 1831, um, Brigham Young was introduced to the Book of Mormon by his brother. After dwelling on the book for a year, he officially joined the church in 1832. So He looks the- like the kind of fucker that would dwell on a book for a year. You'd think he looks a little daft. No, that's why. Oh. (laughs) Um, Like some really, because the Book of Mormon is not like a beautifully written, thoughtful book. It's kind of shitty. You come here, love God. (laughs) Have many children. Woman brain small, keep her in kitchen. (laughs) Man big brain, make more wife, make more children. (laughs) God hate brown people. Curse them. Okay, so Louise, okay, hold on. What the fuck is it with like dwelling on books? So when I was being spoken to and Loki trying to be converted by Mormon elders who came over to my house, like they gave me the book, they were friendly, they were nice, and they asked me to dwell on it and pray about it or some shit. Yeah, that's a thing. Why? I don't know. I think like I have a friend who she was my neighbor and she almost got converted by a really hot missionary. Oh. But they gave her a Book of Mormon and they were like, just read it and pray about it. And did you pray about it? I didn't. But my mom found the book like in my backpack and she flipped the fuck out. Oh my God. Because my parents are like Catholic and they were like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck is this? They found the Book, <laughs> they found the book of Mormon. It's funny because of like all Christian-esque religions, Mormons are just like the Catholics' weird cousins. Yeah. So by the end of the year, um, after he converted, he left his daughters with the Kimballs, who he was staying with, and became a Mormon missionary. Do you think he did what I do with my dogs, which is like I distract them, I throw them treats across the room and then leave? (laughs) Wait, no, the best distraction is you stop withholding your affection. And then they're just confused, like, oh, what? My 19th century father said he's proud of me. I I must go into the river and wash my face with cold water to make sure what happened was real. (laughs) (laughs) 
So he left his daughters and he became a, a Mormon missionary in what is now modern day Ontario. And in 1830. 1830- There's worse places to be a Mormon missionary. Some Mormon missionaries get called to like Boise, Idaho. Can you fucking tell me why as soon as you said there's worse places to be a Mormon, I was going to say Coeur d'Alene or Moscow, Idaho. <laughs> Whoa! Why? Why did we go to Idaho, Louise? Because it's I like think a- <laughs> I think Idaho is the worst place. <laughs> Sorry, Idaho. No, no. I'm, I mean, watch us get like a spike in fucking listeners from Idaho now. Fuck. <laughs> We do have some listeners in Idaho. Oh, hi. Hi, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. In 1833, Young and his daughters made a pilgrimage to Kirtland, Ohio. Can you imagine? Daddy, after you said you, you were proud of me, I never saw you for an entire year. But let's go on a pilgrimage together. To Ohio. To Ohio. So he went on this pilgrimage with his daughters where he met and married Marianne Angel after she heard him preach. He was involved in the church in a variety of ways. He set he set out on early trips with Zion's camp, which is a group of Mormon men who went to find Zion in Missouri and Ohio and other states to see if they could expand in these areas. And that a little bit of context with that, Joseph Smith taught that when God comes again, the land of Zion will be in Missouri. But I think that's also where Mormons believe the Garden of Eden was located, was in Missouri. Wait till all the Mormons find out that everything is all located in Idaho. (laughs) (laughs) So Brigham Young went on a number of Mormon missions throughout New England during his time living in the Midwest. Now, I don't want to spend too much on the timelines here. It gets pretty confusing because from the start of the Mormon church, probably escalating the most in the 1830s to mid-1840s, the Mormons went from town to town to town in the Midwest, being ran out of one town, moving to another. Then that town would feel bad for them, and then they would piss off people in that town and then go to another town and then would eventually get ran out of that that town. It's kind of like a guest that has kind of overstayed their welcome, and now they're just getting sloppy. Yeah, in your, in, in your home. You might even know that person who has like overstayed their welcome with multiple people. Exactly. And then suddenly now you find like unflushed piss and poop in your toilet and like a dirty dishes. And it's like, dude, come on. Yeah. And the next thing you know, that friend ends up marrying your wife in secret <laughs> and printing a bunch of fake money. It's happened so many times to me that I don't allow guests in my home anymore. <laughs> they always take my wife. <laughs> But, I mean, Brigham Young was around for all of that. So Brigham Young eventually helped lead the Mormons to Nauvoo, Illinois in the late 1830s. And this is where they began to build the Nauvoo Temple. What I wanted to highlight at this point is that we're in Nauvoo because that is the point where a lot of shit started to happen with Brigham Young. So Brigham Young got appointed to some leadership roles in the church. He was first appointed to the Quorum of the Seventy in 1835 and then the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in the 1840. And so the leadership in the Mormon church, it's kind of like a pyramid. At the very top of the pyramid, there's the prophet like the Mormon Pope. And there's two leaders that are with the prophet. And then below them is the Quorum of the Twelve. And then after that is the Quorum of the Seventy. And below the Quorum of the Seventy is like the 
stake presidents. And so the stake presidents are in charge of, they work under the quorum of the 70 to be in charge of smaller areas of the church. And then within the stake are the wards. So that's the individual congregations, which are ran by bishops. So he he was at the higher rankings at this point. Does it work kind of like a, like a pyramid scheme where the more people you convert, the higher you rise until you are a golden diamond rose um, <laughs> s- s- status? Within the Mormon Church, a golden diamond rose. Go- oh. <laughs> yeah. Crown royal diamond. A crown royal diamond. So you make so you convert as many people as possible. So you particularly go after like vulnerable people, someone who's lost a loved one or looking for purpose in life, and you convert them. And then you do enough people, and then you become a royal crown diamond. A royal and, crown diamond. And then Look they, at the and face of Brigham Young. And then you make your way up. Yeah, except this is a pyramid scheme where all the boss babes are men. <laughs> So another practice that began during this time was the ritual of adoption. This is where higher ranking members of the church would seal themselves, which means they ceremonially attach themselves to another member who lost their family because they joined the church. So their family like abandoned them. But this was eventually done away with because it was kind of divisive and it created some power dynamics between higher ranking members' sons and then their like ritually sealed adopted sons. This is some daddy issues shit. (laughs) So Brigham was a devout member, but initially he was strongly against polygamy saying that he would rather be in the grave than have another wife. But get this, when he finally came around, he immediately married a teenager who just moved to Nauvoo. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm getting some major Hamilton vibes. <laughs> Anyway, he attempted to marry another young bride, Martha Brotherton, by following her upstairs in Joseph Smith's store. He cornered her and said that they could get married right now and he could consummate the marriage right there. If you want to know what's like really romantic. I just love it when a boy corners me in a store and then like I have nowhere to run. And then, okay, this is the cutest. He like holds a a knife to my neck and then he says, let's get married. Right there. Hashtag in the 1840s love. Take me back. Men don't know how to be romantic anymore. (laughs) When he corners you in the store with a knife. Just girly things. You remember? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, there's like people downstairs buying cheesecloth and flour and and this guy wants to have really loud pioneer sex in the (laughs) attic. Could you imagine if they did and people are like ringing up their stuff and they just hear like the grunting noises coming from fucking Brigham Young? No, I don't. You know why I don't believe that? Because I feel like 1840s sex was just quiet sex. <laughs> I don't know why. I just firmly believe that people before like the 90s just had quiet sex. <laughs> You'd hear the the occasional <clears throat> but it's that's <laughs> but it's mostly just the bed squeaking. Yeah, well also because they had sex when they had like eight kids in the room. <laughs> so they had to be quiet. <laughs> the kids are like reading a book in the corner and mom and dad are wrestling. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy, why do you wrestle? And then nine months later, I have a new sibling. Don't worry, child. We will not teach you anything. You'll find it all out much later. One day when you're a big girl and you get cornered in a store. 
you'll know. <laughs> anyway, so between 1844 and 1846, so in two years, Brigham Young married 33 women. Mm. Can you imagine, like, he corners everyone in that same store? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like no matter how many dates you go on with different people, you take them to the same restaurant. Yeah. This is like the 1840s version of that. Well, I mean, if you have to figure out 33 different proposals, though, like you can't make each one special. Exactly. You're like, okay, I cornered this one in the store. Okay. And I I tied this other one to like the train (laughs) tracks. Um, (laughs) I'm running out of I'm running out of options. (laughs) Um, what if there was somebody who, like, woman in town who really wanted to marry Brigham Young, so she kept <laughs> somehow finding her way in the to- in the storefront, and she's like, oh, no, what am I doing here? And Brigham Young's like, oh, fuck. It's her she- <laughs> <laughs> Pushes her out the window. She comes back. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so these ladies and gentlemen are why we should look up to these folks that help preserve the sanctity of marriage, not those damned homosexuals sexuals with their bum lust <laughs> yeah no it's true those th- those hom- homosexuals um <laughs> so, so 33 33 women in two years yeah that's exhausting like ha- he had to marry all of them but like mormon weddings are free what do you mean like the church pays for, for it yeah you know it's it's free oh shit yeah this is the kind of socialism that the mormon church is operating on <laughs> Free temple weddings. So Brigham Young was even married to women who already had husbands at the time. That's that big dick energy coming out. That said 1840s BDE. <laughs> um, he also had a few marriages that later that he later regretted. Interestingly, he he didn't want men to get divorces except for him. Yeah. So he he had some regrets about some of the marriages. Um, one example was with someone named Mary Woodward. This marriage happened when they were in uh, N- Nauvoo, um, days after Brigham Young ritualistically adopted Mary and her husband, James. He married Mary in secret. Ooh. He took her to the store. <laughs> he brought her to a cliff and asked her at the very end of it. <laughs> like oh fuck so when mary told people that she was sealed to brigham he he called her mouth an open sepulcher which i've been called that before (laughs) and he told her that she should consider herself discharged from me and my counsel so he like disowned her i guess I guess that's what you would call disowning your kids. But what about if your adopted child is also your wife <laughs> and also your church member? There's a lot going on here. <laughs> we need we need a sociologist in the room. <laughs> I'm imagining like a Venn diagram where there's three circles. One is like wife of Brigham Young. The other is daughter of Brigham Young. And then the other one is LDS church member. And then in the middle, it says Mary Woodward. <laughs> Yep. Um, So she remained married to her husband, but allegedly uh, Brigham Young made her promise to never sleep with him again. And she didn't. She continued to write Brigham Young desperate letters for years after. (laughs) This this story, doesn't this story kind of remind you of our friends Luke and Jean from Two Boys, One Cult? Yeah. About marrying other people's partners? Mm-hmm. And then, isn't that weird that these cults or religious groups do 
this partner stealing? Yeah. Well, marriage is like a great way to control a cult group. If you can group a bunch of people together while also attaching them to your leader, I mean, it's very efficient. So it makes sense why both Brigham Young and John and Luke did this. The so. order, the order of the solar temple. Yes. So in 1844, after the first prophet was killed, many Mormons believe that this might be a good time to quit practicing polygamy because like it also made them more like outsiders, I guess. However, Brigham Young disagreed, believing that their weird shit, like polygamy, kept the Mormons together. So the church ended up splitting over these issues, but Brigham Young did have the authority title because he was the current president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. So he was able to make his way into being the prophet. So Emma Smith, Joseph Smith's first wife, she was loudly against polygamy, of course, until Joseph Smith had a revelation from God that wives needed to be very, very quiet. She tried to unite some of the other women against it, but of course, the men would tell the congregation that she was starting to lose her mind. After Joseph Smith's death, Brigham and Emma disagreed about a number of things, including who was the owner of Joseph Smith's estate, which of it was Joseph's property, so it would go to Emma, versus which of the properties belonged to the church, so it would go directly to Brigham Young. Emma also believed that her son should be the next leader of the church, not Brigham Young. So Brigham reacted by creating a smear campaign against Emma. He began to teach that Emma tried to murder Joseph Smith, the prophet prophet by poisoning his coffee on two separate occasions and uh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking metal <laughs> brigham young was also adamant that it was because of emma's opposition to polygamy that played a role in a major role in joseph smith's death of course not because joseph smith was setting up fake banks marrying children or burning down printing presses brigham young said in an 1866 general conference which is something that still happens twice a year today it's it's a time for the whole church to hear directly from the mouth of the prophet. So it's like televised. When Brigham Young was one of his sermons was about Emma Smith being the damnedest liar that he knows on this earth. He said that there is no good thing I would refuse to do for her if she chooses only to be a righteous woman, but instead she will continue in her wickedness. She's a nasty woman. Nasty, nasty woman. Nasty woman. Well, so, or a dirty woman. That's Brigham Young's quote. He says, a woman is the dirtiest creature, dirtier than, than a man. Men are honest. If a woman won't lie, she is a miracle. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is a legit garbage person. He is. So once Brigham Young became the prophet, he excommunicated higher up members that had disagreed with them or that had spoken out against him. We had said a few times that he had kind of a foul mouth. And during the debacle of like, who's going to be the next prophet, Brigham Young said this about Gladden Bishop, who had claimed to be the rightful LDS prophet. And Brigham Young said, I can shit a better prophet and fart better revelations. Oh, shit. Uh, so once he had been established as the president of the church, he was charged with keeping the Mormons safety from the ever running danger of the angry mobs. After Joseph Smith's death, the Illinois governor, Thomas Ford, really wanted the Mormons out of the state. And so Brigham Young began sending scouts out west for land to colonize. 
allies, but the Mormons still hung around Nauvoo with seemingly no sense of urgency to actually leave. Wait, so he went to colonize land that may have already been occupied? Yes. I don't know what is wrong with these old world white people. (laughs) Well, it's nobody really wanted to have the Mormons anywhere because they were kind of a nuisance. So chances are if the Mormons didn't leave, they probably would have all been killed and we wouldn't have Mormons today. But either way, they are colonizers and they clearly had power when they began to colonize because the federal government kind of saw, and I think I get into this more later, they kind of saw like a opportunity to get rid of them, but also like have them go help them take over land that was already occupied. And at that time as well, the United States didn't stretch from coast to coast. And so I think the, you know, after the Louisiana purchase or whatever, the United States borders ended at like North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado Mm -hmm. a little bit. And I think they wanted to set up in, in Utah because that was technically not part of the United States at the time as well. Yeah. But something I thought was kind of funny is they didn't really seem to have any urgency to leave because it was, I want to say it was like a year or two that they were like, oh, we're, we're, we'll be leaving any day now. But they didn't. And so the governor of Illinois made up a story and told Brigham Young that the federal government was coming to arrest him because of counterfeiting charges. And then Brigham Young and the Mormons left like right away. <laughs> I'll I'll cover their movement out west. So just some context for y'all. Um, after the Mexican-American War, 1846 to 1848, the Treaty of Guadalupe-Hidalgo was signed, which basically meant that a large portion of what was Mexico was annexed by the United States. This included California, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, and parts of Colorado. And so they made their way to a part of then Mexico called Upper California, um, which is now modern day Utah. And they had funding from the federal government to do this because the United States wanted to acquire the Mexican territory for Cali- of California. So they saw the Mormons as a useful tool for westward expansion. Brigham Young called the group the Mormon Battalion, which was pretty much a religious federally funded militia. So the group went and, quote, explored around the territory. This is some real fucking Manifest Destiny bullshit. Oh, y- yes. <laughs> So while the battalion was doing their thing, Young, Brigham Young, brought the Mormons to winter quarters, Nebraska, and he waited to purify the church before leading them to Salt Lake City. So again, he excommunicated a bunch of Mormons and ordered uh, Mormons to be beaten for minor infractions in the church. And during their journey to Salt Lake Valley... More of that big dick energy. BDE. <laughs> during the journey to Salt Lake Valley, um, they were incredibly undersupplied for the journey. But their sure will and guilt spewing from young kept the Mormons going. So when when the Mormons began to doubt their leader, um, he would consistently remind them that they were not successful. It would damage the church's credibility and cause the saints to scatter. Um, he said that it was the saints' lack of unity and disobedience that caused Joseph to lose his life and that their poor behavior was going to give him the same fate. It's like an abusive parent. It's like, I mean, but isn't a lot of religious ideology punitive, kind of like a religious parent? That's true. You know, the the idea of if you doubt whatever teachings you're being taught, clearly you were never 
a believer in the first place or you will be punished and very gaslighty behaviors if you act like this this and this and this then you then you hate god and you hate your family it's very i mean these are just elements of social control right Mm -hmm. yeah so they arrived in salt lake valley on july 24th 1847 and that's the day that the people of utah celebrate as pioneer day That has to be a really like boring celebration. Like I'm just trying to imagine because when I think of Pioneer Day, I think of it as like the Puritan cousin of Fourth of July. <laughs> yep. So shortly after arriving, um, Brigham Young set up the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Throwback to when his dad would beat him for listening to music. <laughs> He's like, this is for you, dad. He's like, I'm rebelling. And he's got like thick black eyeliner on. And <laughs> I'm fuck you, dad. I hate you. And he shuts his door and then starts drafting his plans to start like actually one of the best choirs out there. Oh, yeah. I heard them sing a Moana song once. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that so much. God. Does Moana know they hate her? <laughs> Oh, we could do a whole episode just about the Mormon church infiltrating Polynesia. Oh, Lord. Because the Mormons have a very significant presence in Hawaii, in Samoa, Fiji. I think it's because the Mormons wanted to set up a temple there and they're like, vacay, we'll go colonize this place. Just like Luke and John. Mm -hmm. They just wanted some fucking property here and there. Mm -hmm. So Young got to be a leader of his own own Mormon theocracy for about four years before um, government involvement. So uh, this next segment, we're kind of going to talk. It was pretty challenging to organize because the life in Utah and the teachings in the Mormon church, specifically from Brigham Young, were heavily intertwined. So Adrian will be talking a little bit about the specific events, and I'm going to try and give context. So basically, the garbage gets a little complicated. The garbage the people. The garbage gets real, real complicated with Brigham Young as a leader once he gets to Utah. All right, kids, we're on the bus and we're heading to Utah. Make sure your colonizing music is playing. So... <laughs> In 1851, President Fillmore appointed Brigham Young as the governor of the territory and also the superintendent of American Indian Affairs. During this fucking... Can you imagine? You legit did some manifest destiny shit and then you get appointed as a superintendent for the the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Mm Mm-hmm. That Brigham. Privilege! So during this position, and he was also, I mean, during this time, he was also a prophet of the Mormon church. He set up settlements all over the Rocky Mountains and all over indigenous land. He built roads, he built bridges, irrigation projects, and he issued an extermination order against the Timpanogo tribe, um, which was the main tribe in that area of Utah, in the Battle of Fort Utah. And this was mostly because of a dispute over stolen cattle and the murder of a Timpanogo man. So as the superintendent of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, you order the extermination of an indigenous group. Welcome, everybody, to the United States of America. Please enjoy your trip. (laughs) Our first stop is death. (laughs) If you look to your left, you'll see genocide. (laughs) Ooh, ah. (laughs) Please, ladies and gentlemen, no flash. (laughs) 
he did have some issues with being a governor. Um, he preferred the days where he was simply president of the church because he could essentially be king of the area. Um, but once he became governor, he had to become part of a bureaucratic system. And you know how accountability works. It sucks, right? No one wants to do it, but you gotta. I don't want to have accountability. Brigham Young, like, kicking a pine cone around. He's like, this sucks. <laughs> Other government employees in the area began to notice their bookwork wasn't organized or it, it looked a little sus. As far as um, government involvement into how he was running the territory, he says, and I quote, I would rather stand here and cut throats than suffer lawsuits. If you interfere in my elections, it will be the last. You are shitting on my dish and I will lick it out. Mm. <laughs> Can you imagine that kind of threat? imagine him like like i imagine him doing it yeah and he's like licking it and then he's like how do you like me now how do you like me now <laughs> while jerking off at him too like a louis ck it's like <laughs> <laughs> see he's a sh- he's got a shit fetish do you do you like me now <laughs> <laughs> he does have a shit fetish little, little scat daddy so i mean part of part of him not really wanting big government quote quote unquote big government involved in his leadership in utah a great example of this is polygamy we don't have the time to go into the complexities of the afterlife in the mormon church that would take a very long time but one component of the afterlife in the mormon church is exaltation so becoming a god um so pretty much in the church today if you do everything that is required by the church while you're on the earth so live a good life get married in the mormon temple do all the necessary temple mormon rituals you will be able to go to the highest level of heaven in which you and by you i mean the man in the relationship will be exalted as a god and you get your own planet so according to brigham young the only men who become gods are those who enter into polygamy but this is a significant part of their practice and what i mentioned before however is that brigham young was very quickly quick to let women divorce men but if men divorced women except for him he would lose his shit he was quoting telling one man who wanted to divorce his wife that when a man married a wife he took her for better or for worse and that he had no right to ill use her if she shit in bed and lay in it until noon he must bear it (laughs) here we go we go with the shit i just imagine her like sleeping and then she's like oh man i gotta shit and she like gets up and squats and then like lays back down in it (laughs) and brigham young's like this is fine You're not going anywhere. But yeah, so in the Mormon church, if you have more wives, though, if a man has more wives in the afterlife, there's... it plays a role. It's really complicated, but the the deities, the husband impregnates all the wives and creates uh, spirit babies to populate other planets. It gets, it's very complicated. (laughs) That's what happens to Mormon women after they die is they just become like baby factories, spirit baby factories. Are they, wait, are they not baby factories while they're alive? But not spirit baby factories. Oh, that's different. Okay. okay. But yes, they are baby factories while they're alive. I was going to make a really bad abortion joke. Do it. I was going to say, isn't Planned Parenthood kind of like a spirit baby factory? (laughs) (laughs) I want to keep it in, but I don't know if we should. We'll think about it, okay? 
That's really funny. Oh, Lord. Okay. During his life, Brigham Young married 55 women, ranging in the ages from 15 to 69 years old, and fathered at least 59 children. It's also, you know, and also... He technically had a kid with each one. Yeah, technically. He didn't. He had... It was like there were a few that he didn't have any kids, like the especially the very... Oh, of course. The elderly wives, because it's like they're way past... I'm I'm always surprised to hear that anybody back in that time lives to be older than like 40. But, you know, another obvious reason, though, for polygamy and um, having multiple wives is one control, like being able to control a congregation because you're married to members. And two, if you have 55 wives, you can just like create so many members to grow up in the church to just pump your numbers. And if you just the look on Brigham Young's face, you know that he was like a fucking semen factory. Ew. That's, I never would have thought that Brigham Young would be described as a semen factory. <laughs> you heard it here first on Garbage Nation. What if? And it, and it, and it came out of Louise's dirty mouth. Guilty. What if our uh, episode art was just like a little a little semen with Brigham Young's head on it, but then like at a desk job or like or like with a factory hat on? A semen factory. A semen factory. Yeah, I know. I get it. I get it. Um. So about states' rights. In 1852, Brigham Young finally went public about his polygamy. He said that polygamy was a religious rights issue as well as a states' rights issue, which was a hot topic at the time because this was the same view as slavery, that if the federal government could not regulate slavery, then why should they be allowed to regulate polygamy? Wow. So, I mean... I know I I can just understand the annoying comparisons they probably did make and the precedents that were set at the time. Mm-hmm. So Brigham Young supported the expansion of slavery into the state of Utah. He said in an 1852 speech that, and I quote, "In as much as we believe in the Bible, we must believe in slavery. This colored race has been subject to severe curses, which they have brought upon themselves." Garbage. Garbage. So as as far as the early history with racist shit in the Mormon church, Joseph Smith was pretty wishy-washy on slavery. Like pretty much he would change his opinion on slavery depending on where he was um, and who he was with. So when the Mormons lived in free states, he of course was like, I'm an abolitionist. And then when he was in slave states, he's like all about slavery. But ultimately, black men were allowed to receive the priesthood initially in the Mormon church, which is a power that it's like a power that men get to be able to receive revelation from God on like a micro level. And so only men get it. And at the beginning of the church, black men were allowed to have it. However, after the Mormons got to Utah, Young announced the ban on black men receiving the the priesthood in the church and that also and also that black folks that were Mormons could not go to Mormon temples and that they were not allowed to participate in certain rituals in the temple that were meant to get people into higher levels of heaven in the afterlife. He taught that black folks were not allowed to receive the priesthood because they were, and I quote, the seed of Cain. He said that black folks were allowed to receive the priesthood and go to the temple after all of the other children of Adam have the privilege of receiving the priesthood. So after everyone else on the planet who 
becomes a Mormon than black people can. And Young said, this is a direct quote, shall I tell you in the law of God in regard to the African race, if the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes with the blood of the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot, and this will always be so. So basically, no miscegenation. Yes, none of that. None of that nasty mixing, race mixing. This is a miscegenation-free zone. (laughs) This ain't a miscegenation nation. Nope, not Utah. (laughs) All right, so going off of race and the Mormon church, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the story of Thomas Coleman. So Thomas Coleman was a black Mormon in Salt Lake City. He lived there for a year as a free man, since Utah did not free slaves until 1865, despite rumors that they ended slavery earlier. That's like something that like, that that's a little talking point that a lot of Mormons today cling to. They're like, well, Utah ended slavery before they even had to because they were so progressive. And it's like, well, one, no, they didn't. Two, they're not progressive. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so he was seen talking to a white woman in 1866. And rumors began that they were dating. So a group of Mormon men murdered him by slitting his throat with his own knife. And they slit his right chest, his right breast, just like in Blood Atonement. Um, and then they left a note that read, quote, N-word to leave white women alone. And his murder was allegedly covered up by an all-Mormon jury. And so, um, again, that's part of that white fear or that sort of fear by the dominant group that, like, minority groups, no matter where, are going to come and, quote, steal their women, which is fucking garbage, too. Um, yeah, it's like, if we should be afraid of anyone, it should be Brigham Young. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there were some earlier rumors. So Thomas Coleman was a personal slave to Brigham Young. And since he did work in his gigantic mansion at the time before the Civil War was over, Brigham Young encouraged Mormons to buy up slaves and convert them to Mormonism. He said, and I quote, it is essentially purchasing them into freedom. This is so, this is so garbagey. I, oh, I know. So racism, it runs very deep um, in the beginnings of the Mormon church. In early uh, revelations, the original text of the Book of Mormon says that they Lamanites, also known as Native Americans, were destined to get converted to Mormonism and become a white and delightsome people. The Mormons are still a white and delightsome people. What a delightsome people. Brigham Young specifically encouraged Mormons to buy up Lamanite children or Native American children as fast as they could and educate them and teach them the gospel. So basically, this is like a sanitized boarding school. Yeah. Which is also... Genocide. It's also a form of genocide. Mm -hmm. So basically, he wanted to turn them white. Many of these children were sold as child slaves, and Brigham Young justified that they were being saved from slavery, but in reality, child labor from indigenous children became encouraged uh, in the Utah Valley. And it wasn't even that he was saying that it would basically turn them white. He taught that if, quote, Lamanite children converted to the Mormon church, that they would literally turn white. So, Louise, tell me this. Yes. Which religion do I have to convert to um, to get a fat ass? (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, I think I think it still is the Mormon Church. Uh, you know, you know what? So be it. It's gonna gonna get that fat ass. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of capital punishment, so Brigham Young participated in the 1851 um, Deseret Assembly that introduced beheading and the firing squad into Utah law. This was while he was still governor. And two other higher up Mormon leaders, um, Jebediah Grant and Herber C. Kimball, if you remember. Oh, hey, hey, Herber. Hey, Herber, were in the House and Senate of Utah. So the law also included hanging as an option for capital punishment, but Mormons viewed hanging as the secular mode of punishment because no blood was spilt with this method so that their sins could not be atoned. (laughs) But the reason why hanging was seen as secular is because of the blood atonement. So this is a piece of Mormon doctrine that came about during Joseph Smith's time. It was more a mention in private that was done very secretively. Where with Brigham Young, it was more of like a public and encouraged practice. So with this teaching, those who commit certain sins, murder and covenant breaking, and also apostates and anti-Mormons could only be saved by ending their life on earth so that they couldn't continue to sin. Blood had to be spilt from these sinners to atone from their sins. So pretty much you were helping them by making sure that they don't sin anymore by murdering them. That's like so yeah. complicated. Why can't people just talk it out and get along? <laughs> no, yeah. there must be blood atonement. Fucking you, hanging isn't bloody enough. It's are you sure work. we just can't like talk? No, there must be blood. Okay, I guess. You know what? I you know what thought just popped into my head, which makes blood atonement kind of eerie, even what? more eerie. Is during my time at BYU, if you had a friend or a roommate who you knew was breaking some of the rules at BYU, it was encouraged for you to go and tell on them pretty much and get them kicked out of school because you were helping them from themselves. It's kind of like a like a G-rated blood atonement. <laughs> being a narc? Yeah, being a narc. <laughs> yeah. If you can't if you can't actually spill blood, be a narc. Yes. What is interesting though is that the Mormon church said over and over again that the blood atonement was not really a thing, at least not something that should be taken literally. For example, prophet Bruce R. McConkie, <laughs> McConkie in 1966 said, and this is one of the prophets just like Brigham Young who apparently gets their information directly from God, said that there is no true references to blood atonement in Mormon history, only false and slanderous stories made up by the enemies of the Mormon church. However, Brigham Young has made a few statements about blood atonement, and um, I'm going to read maybe one or two because there's there's a lot. So in one of Brigham Young's sermons, he said, there are sins that men commit in which they cannot receive forgiveness in this world or that is which to come. And if they had their eyes open to see their true condition, they would be perfectly willing to have their blood spilled upon the ground that the smoke thereof might ascend to heaven offering for their sins. I like the stealing one. Which one is that? Oh, or the, or, or the fourth one. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that is a good one. Okay. Okay. I'm going to read the, those two then. So here's another quote by Brigham Young. If you want to know what to do with a thief that you may find stealing, I say kill him on the spot and never suffer him to commit another iniquity. Can you imagine you just like whack like an eyeliner from Sephora and then like a Mormon woman just kills you on the spot? <laughs> and then quotes brigham young (laughs) in the middle of a sephora never commit another iniquity (laughs) (laughs) okay and then this is 
This is another great one. So if you find your brother in bed with your wife and you put a javelin through them both, you would be justified and they would be atoned for their sins and be received into the kingdom of God. The blood of Christ will never wipe that out. Your own blood must atone for it. I'm imagining like a um, like a track and field javelin. Me too. I, li- I literally imagine the same thing. But doesn't that also then violate the ritual adoption thing that Brigham Young did? He's full of shit. Yeah, he's a hypocrite. Like, he's like, men can't divorce. Oh, I've got a stage five clinger. She's got to go. Like, he's <laughs> like, I guess at one point he even had a bunch of boys like beaten by Mormon leaders because they were cussing in front of women. Meanwhile, he's like, I shit in bowls. <laughs> <laughs> I hated that noise. <laughs> Um, an example um, of blood atonement is the story of Ira West. So Ira was was brought to uh, the High Council of the Church in 1849 for theft and fraud. And Brigham Young initially sent- sentenced him to a public ex- execution, which was a beheading. He said, and I quote, I want their cursed heads to be cut off that they may atone for their sins, end quote. Um, then Brigham Young retracted and gave him a $100 fine and was excommunicated from the church. That sounds like a Spokane slap on the wrist. <laughs> Br- Brigham Young pulled a Spokane. He just fined him and let him go. You know, what's interesting is that that was a Spokane slap on the wrist that was later given to one of Brigham Young's descendants, a.k.a. Dr. Gary Young. Oh, my God. This is like some weird, like, we're like in like Lost, you know, that TV series, like we're all fucking, <laughs> all our garbage people are connected. Yeah. Ooh. So I gave him a $100 fine and he was excommunicated from the church. However, uh, members of the High Council still discussed the possibility of executing Ira. Um, but these talks, they they suddenly stopped when Ira disappeared. However... Mormonbiography.org says that Ira was threatened for being a thief, but he escaped and led a long and healthy, happy life in Arizona. That's a lie. No one leads a long, (laughs) healthy, and happy life in Arizona. (laughs) I know. Isn't that so, like, suspect, though? (laughs) Like, I literally could not find any information about Ira West except for on mormonbiography.org which looks like the mormon wikipedia and they're like ira west we promise you he led a very long and happy life it was so long and so happy and it was in arizona far away from where we would murder him he probably went to arizona and just died as he crossed the state border either that or he's like at the bottom of the salt lake (laughs) that's true yeah but no you didn't escape from blood atonement and then like live out your days in tucson if i were to escape blood atonement and execute I'd go to fucking Provincetown or Hawaii. I wouldn't mm-hmm. go to fucking Arizona. No. That's like from the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> no pun intended. So, um, in 1857, Brigham was removed as governor by new president James Buchanan, who then appointed a non-Mormon governor. Because of all the complaints from Utah judges that he was constantly obstructing anything and everything that did not align with his religious doctrine, um, the federal government sent the new replacement to Utah accompanied with federal troops. So Young called the militia, which was named the Nauvoo Legion, to ambush the federal army. It was called the Defense of Utah. They blocked the U.S. Army from entering the Utah Valley. It was pretty much a standoff between Mormons and um, the feds. Mormons, let me introduce you to the Bundy family. (laughs) They were Mormon. Oh, Oh my god. Yeah. 
Ammon Bundy. Ammon Bundy. And Eastern Oregon borders Northern Utah. Uh-huh. Oh, my. There are, all our garbage people are related. I know. In like a very shallow Mormon genetic pool. It's fascinating. This is This was unintentional. I know. This is fun. This is unintentional and beautiful. <laughs> um, yes. So Mormons, clearly you already know the Bundys, but it ended One with... One of our brethren. <laughs> it ended with Brigham Young eventually backing down and settling for just being the Mormon prophet. A.K.A. the the Mormon king. So let's take us to the Mountain Meadows Massacre. And while it's agreed that Brigham Young did not play a role in the Mountain Meadows Massacre, his theocratic leadership, his obsession um, with blood atonement and racism was the setting stage for this massacre to happen. So in 1857, several groups of Arkansas emigrants were making their way to present-day California. They were called the Baker-Fancher Party, and by the time they arrived in Utah, they had about 120 members. Um, They arrived uh, in Salt Lake during the, quote, Utah War, so the Mormons were not super friendly to outsiders. Um, The Mormons refused to help the group, so they packed up and continued south. And rumors circulated that the party might poison the the water or uh, the cattle along the way. At the time, there was also a militia called the Nauvoo Legion and staged attacks on the party. Around 70 of the militiamen made their way down south to that party. Um, They coerced some members of the Southern Paiute tribe to participate with the intent of uh, pointing the finger on the tribe. On September 7th, 1857, um, the militia and tribe attacked the unsuspecting settlers and killed approximately one-fourth of the adult males in the standoff. Um, The party got all their um, wagons together and started to dig in the ground to protect the more vulnerable uh, members of that caravan. And the standoff continued over the next few days. So on September 11th, um, (laughs) the party let let one of the Mormons into their fort. His name was John D. Lee. I like to imagine that he like walked up with a little white flag. (laughs) Hi, I'm fine. I promise. Hi, you guys. Um, (laughs) It's me, John D. (laughs) He, so John D. Lee said that they were there to save them from the Indians. What if what if he knocked on their door and then was like, "Hi, it's me, Elder Lee. I'm here to tell you about the good word." <laughs> and then they fucking slit his throat, or like slam the door in his face, <laughs> or or they told him, "Oh, we're busy. Can you come back later?" That's what a lot of people do to Mormon missionaries. They're like, and then uh. and, and then he takes a step back and he's like, "Hundreds of years from now, future Mormons will deal with this, <laughs> will deal with this issue too." He's like, I think it'll be called being ghosted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Mormons separated into three groups. Uh, The wounded, the very young, the wounded and the very young children were in a wagon behind them. And the women and older children walked behind. Then behind them were the men and they were being escorted by the militia members. Lee directed the escorting men to do their duty, and the and then the men t- 
turned around and shot each man in the head. Oof. So because uh, because the Mormons wanted to frame the the indigenous tribe for this massacre, they painted their faces, and um, so then these painted folks, some of whom were native and many of whom were Mormon, however slaughtered the older children and women um they murdered everyone except for 17 children under the age of seven which in the mormon church is innocent blood that's kind of weird it's so in some churches like you get baptized when you're a baby or you get baptized whenever you decide that you are ready to get baptized but in the mormon church it's believed that before the age of eight you don't know any better so Um, once you become eight you become baptized because that's when you're then held accountable for your sins oh Mm -hmm. that's fucked up i am 27 and i still don't want to be held accountable for my sins (laughs) i still don't know better and so, yeah, I mean, it's also because um, being that young, it was considered too young of an age um, to be seen as a credible witness. Yeah. Well, and so a lot of people <laughs> believe that, huh? No, I'm just thinking like you're eight and you're like, you're not a credible witness. And once you're fucking nine, it's like, send them to the court. <laughs> and you have to fucking testify as a nine-year-old. Your honor, I bring you our most credible witness. And you're like, huh? Where am I? <laughs> Followed a trail of Jolly Ranchers into this courtroom. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody said that there'd be Minecraft. (laughs) So as far as Brigham Young's involvement in the uh, Mountain Meadows massacre, it's widely accepted that he did not play a role. But I just think I'm going to put my conspiracy theory and like my tinfoil hat on and kind of tell you some of the things that I think are interesting. So before the party left Salt Lake and started to head toward Mountain Meadows, Brigham Young said, in regards to the immigration train passing through our settlements, we must not interfere with them until they are first notified to keep away. You must not meddle with them. The Indians we expect will do as they please, but you should try and preserve good feelings with them. So I I don't know if that was like conspiracy theory hat. This is conjecture, but I'm like, oh, was he trying to kind of set it up that it's like, we're we're not doing anything. The quote unquote Indians we expect will do what they please, but we'll be peaceful. So I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Because after all of this happened, Young discouraged any members from cooperating in the federal investigations. And he wanted members of the church to stand strong that it was all because of the uh, Paiute peoples. So Lee was initially not charged until a report to Congress blamed both the militia and the church leaders and after that lee was sentenced to death by firing squad fuck yeah some blood atonement hey (laughs) (laughs) brigham young did did come out against the mountain meadows massacre however he obviously did not agree that he incited this in happening in any way and there is this book. It's a like compilation of things from Lee about the massacre. And Lee alleged, alleged that Brigham Young uh, directly commanded the massacre. But that is... That was an allegation. But. Um, since since you are um, the Mormon queen, um, mm-hmm. the ex the ex Mormon queen, I wanted <laughs> to ask you. This is a random thought that entered my mind. Can you atone for your own blood by killing yourself? <laughs> you know, I don't know. 
I don't think the church really like condones that. What if you set up a javelin like between two rocks and you fell on it? It's 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 the intention, right? You, it's still premeditated. I think this is the future that Brigham Young wants is where we're all killing ourselves with the javelins. <laughs> so I, I think in Brigham Young's in Brigham Young's America, suicide in the name of blood atonement would probably be fine. <laughs> what if blood atonement was everybody eating shit out of a metal plate and then dying of like hepatitis A or hepatitis E or salmonella or something? <laughs> is that is that blood atonement? Uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, so blood has to be spilt. Oh. Yeah, so I guess it wouldn't be. Too bad. Too bad. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. Um, whoever was listening, getting a little bit happy about finally getting to eat that shit without any remorse. <laughs> now you just have to reserve it for your cheat day. <laughs> <laughs> your cheat day. <laughs> I'm going to be so bad today. Oh my God, girls, guess what I ate on my cheat day? Mm, I ate a plate of shit. (laughs) So Brigham Young continued as the king of the Mormon church after he was no longer the uh, governor. But somehow Brigham Young was able to turn his very limited funds, like when he left the Midwest and brought the Mormons to Utah, he did not have a lot of money, but he was able to turn it into a fortune. It is no secret that Brigham Young did use the money from tithing for his own personal gain, which in the Mormon church, all Mormon members pay 10% of their money every single month. It's usually for like building churches, building temples, and then like operating these establishments. Brigham Young lived like a king while also getting revelations from God for the Mormons to give him money, live humble lives on limited supplies, and essentially build Salt Lake City while he sat in his estates. Brigham Young had an executive mansion, which is called the Beehive House. He also owns a large house next door called the Lion House and also the Gardo House, which was rumored to be built for Brigham Young's favorite wife, Amelia Young, and also a house in St. George, Utah. There is some debate on the exact dollar amount that Brigham Young was worth, but we know that he was worth well over a million dollars at the time, which in today's dollars is worth over $30 million. God wants me to have a yacht. Yeah, no, exactly. It just, it reminds me of exactly that. This still happens in the LDS church today. I always thought that tithing money just went to those things that I was talking about before, but the LDS church has dabbled in making investments outside of the church. We could do like a whole episode on finances in the Mormon church, but there's not enough time for today. But I did want to give one example. The Corporation of the Presiding Bishop of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is a tax-exempt arm of the Mormon Church that is not the Mormon Church itself, funded a $1.5 billion high-end world-class shopping center in Salt Lake City. Wow. Yeah. Um, so Brigham Young died on August 27th, 1877, after suffering from cholera and inflamed bowels and possibly a ruptured appendix. I am God's messenger, but old watermelon <laughs> killed me. and he lived until he was 76 which in those times and conditions that's like 2000 years old 
fuck. To this day, Brigham Young University has three locations, Provo, Utah, Rexburg, Idaho, and Laie, Hawaii. And during the George Floyd protests, Brigham Young statues at BYU campuses were spray painted in red with the word racist on the front. Oh, I wonder if it was like BYU students or probably not. It probably was. Oh, you think? Mm-hmm. Really? I think because there are still students that go to BYU who are critical of the church's history or current practices. Now, whether or not they feel safe enough to come forward about these things is one thing, because you can get kicked out of school for some pretty small things. So there were a lot of people that go there because it was cheap for their family, or it was like the only place that their family would send them, that meanwhile, they are quietly radicalizing others. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Keep up the good work and leave as soon as you get your degree. I was just thinking about atonement and what atonement would look like if you caught your friends spray painting racist on Brigham Young's statue. <laughs> the blood atonement? The blood atonement. Yeah. You, you killed them right there on the spot. What a sight for the world to wake up to. Red spray paint all over Brigham Young and then just dead young college students littering the front. But what I imagine is that because it was on BYU campus, after blood atonement occurs, they just, the bodies of the students that were murdered just get absorbed into the ground. And then like trees and benches appear where their bodies were. <laughs> or it's like a, it's like a murder train. Like you, you have to kill someone that's that spray painted a statue then because you were witness to someone killing someone you have to kill that person to atone them and then it just goes on from there yeah bro why did you do that bro I'm, you know i'm gonna have to kill you right <laughs> oh shit bro he's like okay bro i'm ready i got my game face on i'm ready and then you just thrust a javelin through his chest <laughs> yeah so that's that's our garbage person brigham young brigham young garbage person with such a big legacy Mm-hmm. So to reflect on this, religion is kind of shitty. Yeah. Don't narc on your friends. Mm-hmm. Don't accost women in grocery stores asking um, them to marry you. <laughs> Words to live by. Don't tie women to the train tracks and ask them to marry you. I'm imagining, you know those decals that you can put on your wall? Yeah. I'm imagining all of these things as a decal. Be patient, be kind, and don't tie women up to train tracks. <laughs> um, try and not engage in genocide? No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I was really nervous you were. Yeah. Um, manifest destiny is bad. Yes. What else? What else are we learning from this? Racism um, is bad. Don't eat shit out of bowls. Don't eat shit out of bowls. Racism is bad, but there's a way to fix it. Just turn your profile picture black for Blackout Tuesday and you're good. Yeah, you're no longer racist. It's science. The voices in your head are God sending you messages. So just go out and do it. Yeah. <laughs> I think on a more serious note, so I, I know a lot of Christian people that love to learn about the beginnings of the Mormon church and they kind of use it as like, look at how weird and fucked up these people are. At least I'm not that religion. But I think that maybe because Christianity was founded 2000 years ago, I think the beginnings of Christianity was just as bad. But the only difference is you can't find police reports about John and Peter being fucking creeps or 
con artist or you can't find written records from neighbors saying how horrible these people were but we can for Brigham Young and Joseph Smith and exactly I just think it's funny when like other religious people are like oh yeah they're so bad at least I'm not part of that well you might be yeah no I I I definitely agree it was because it was so long ago yeah, for sure. And I'm not trying to devalue the experiences of ex-Mormons by saying that Christianity is bad. I, I know that from growing up Mormon and being an ex-Mormon myself, I know there are many unique experiences that Mormons have and ex-Mormons have that we really didn't get into today because that really wasn't the goal of our episode. But I think that the Mormon church is not unique at all by having some really fucked up formative years. So anyways, I think that about wraps things up. Please be sure to follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Please let us know so we can be there as well. We want to be the podcast version of the person that accosts you in a grocery store and asks you to marry them. (laughs) We want to be wherever you don't suspect us to be. (laughs) Wherever you don't expect us to be. Also, if you have suggestions and or ways... We can we can uh, format our research better or present the information to you better. Please, please, please let us know. And if you know a garbage person, tell us about it on our website, garbage-nation.com. You can find our research citations, podcast art, and more. And we are a new podcast, so we heavily, heavily, heavily rely on your support. Heavily. Heavily. That was the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Are we able to harmonize? Heavily. Heavily. Oh, Lord. You sound like you got kicked in the fucking face. <laughs> um, so we heavily rely on your support. So please, please, please tell others about us and help us spread the word. Um, all right. Well, this is Adrian signing out. And I hope that you have a garbage day. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, brothers and sisters. I'm a Mormon, get it? (laughs) 